Alisader again. Navarro's continuing his run. He doesn't need it. Ignacio Alisader. Scintillating football by the Chicago Fire. Federico Navarro weaving his way through. And it's in. Welcome in to another edition of the Intercontinental Football Show. My Chicagoans winter is officially here. It's not coming. It is on our doorstep. We are recording this on a Tuesday morning. It is a balmy 15 degrees outside, and that's without any wind chill. Arlo White, I'm not exactly sure what's going on in the Midlands weather-wise, but it simply just is not as brutal as it is here in Chicago. We are back with another episode. We have loads to talk about. We have a new top dog in the Premier League at the moment, Manchester City. Chelsea slip all the way down to third place. Tuchel out, question mark? We'll get to that in just a little bit. But Mr. Arlo White, how are you, my friend? I'm sorry to hear about the weather. We've got Storm Barra over here. um, And all that means is we don't get the frigid temperatures that you guys get, but we just get howling winds, horrible sideways rain, Mm. uh, and just general darkness. As I I speak on the Tuesday, um, the sun has just come out for the first time in what feels like about five or six days. Um, but 15 degrees, that sounds pretty brutal and puts into my into perspective me moaning on social media about 35 degrees and having to layer up mm-hmm. and, and drink lots of hot soup. Uh, but here it's just, I don't know, it, it's more of a, it's a damp cold that gets in your bones. But boy, 15 degrees, that sounds frigid. Yeah, this isn't this isn't enjoyable for me. Um, again, this comes back to my to my talking a lot of talking a lot of smack, talking a lot of uh, talking a big game about how I was going to be prepared for the Chicago winters. And at the end of the day, it was like my take on Edison Cavani winning the Golden Boot. It's a cold take. It's an ice cold take. I was not ready <laughs> for the winters in Chicago. I'm still not ready. Um, but here we are, nevertheless. Uh, Arlo, we got a lot you have to, to ask yourself, Tyler. What would Julio Iglesias do in this situation? Julio or Enrique? Oh, Enrique. Let's go for Enrique, his son, because you're a young Enrique Iglesias. What would he do in this situation? Um, well, uh, the young Enrique Iglesias would find himself um, sipping a mojito on the beaches of uh, on the beaches of Miami. So he wouldn't have to. He have, we wouldn't have to worry about this. But uh, he'd be he'd be leaning over a dub to grab some of the baby oil, and we're just simply laying down that second or third base layer uh, that a dub so so lovingly is going to bring to the St. Vincent and the Grenadines. Uh, but but Andrew, let, what, what's going on in your in your world, man? We I feel like we haven't heard from you in a while. Hey, I'm curious how you're feeling in third place. We'll get to Chelsea, West Ham in a little bit, but just overall feeling about life right now in third place. You only asked that because we lost the game. If we won the game, this question wouldn't be asked at all, and that's okay. You know, True. sometimes there's dips in the Premier League. It's the greatest league in the world. It's not always easy to win games. They'll be back on top in no time. City will drop. It's a tough period for every team. We'll see how they come back. Oof. Optimistic, you can say. Optimistic. It's a tough, I think, it's a tough I, period. I don't think you had that. It's a tough I period think, unless, it, you're, um, unless you're Liverpool or City, it's tough. But yeah, He, no, he had it. that response ready, TT. He'd, he'd been thinking about this. He was expecting the question. That was the, that was the equivalent of we're going to give 110% each week. We're going to take mm-hmm. each game as it comes. You know, we, just, yep. we, just have, we don't look beyond the next three points. You know, that's, all it's, that's what it's all about. That was a stock A-dub answer to, to, to cover the desperate disappointment that that man is feeling at the moment. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't listen to him in postgame pressers if he were a coach of a Premier League team. I know the answers I'm going to get. They're boring. They're bland. Um, but, you know, the moment that the referees come into play, then he's going to go full Jurgen Klopp and blame everything yeah. and anything except for his own team's performance. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. But that, but that's just that's just who A-Dub is at his core. Speaking of, of Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool, Arlo, I think we need to start uh, with the most dramatic 
result of the weekend. I yeah. think I can say that confidently. Maybe Everton fans would have would have some say about that, given Damara Gray's uh, wonder strike in the 93rd minute. But let's start with Liverpool. Um, really good game against Wolves. It was it was a hard fought battle. I thought Bruno Lage's side set up really well mm. and frustrated Liverpool for the majority of the game. Um, and then Divac Origi, time and time again, as Incredible. he's done basically since he since he's been in the side for Liverpool. You you look back um, in, into the into the history books of Liverpool Football Club during this stretch, during this reign of supremacy, whether it be in Europe or Premier League, and you look at some of the big games that they've won that have led to potentially a title, a trophy, whatever it is. Divac Origi's name is in the middle of all of it, and it's just incredible how he's able to do this. And he really doesn't play that much football, no, Otto. No. He's sort of it's 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 incredible how you can be that cold, metaphorically speaking, not here in Chicago, and still produce time in and time out when your when your team asks you to but Liverpool won to win over Wolves um, and they're just one point behind City at, at the top of the Premier League table yeah it's kind of a thankless situation for Divock Origi because th- there is no way that I can see that that at this stage of his career he's ever going to be a first choice forward for Liverpool unless there are a raft of injuries uh, to to the, the the front four which is as we know Salah, Firmino, Mane and Diogo Jota that is a fab four now now a couple of those guys and we've talked about it on the pod Mane and Salah will be disappearing to the Africa Cup of Nations. So Divock Origi will step up and be prominent during those periods. But you're absolutely right. The the guy just comes off the bench. I mean, look, he did go about 35 substitute appearances without scoring. The the one that he got um, a couple of weeks ago was the first off the bench. I think it was at West Ham, was the first off the bench since the Champions League final, uh, where he capped the victory with with the second goal against Tottenham. But but to come off the bench at Wolves, and it's nil-nil, uh, and there was a there were a couple of howling misses, uh, not least by Diogo Jota, where he smashes oh it against God. Connor Cody in Connor Cody's unmentionables on the line. Uh, <laughs> where, when when normally you see Diogo Jota just so calm in front of goal and side footing it into the corner, he didn't do that. Uh, Mane blazed over when he was clean through. So the the established forwards had drawn a blank, and that includes Mo Salah. So to come on and finish in the way that he did, you know, one of one of the one of the most extraordinary moments in my nine and a half seasons almost uh, at the mic for NBC Sports with the Premier League is the double doink game, mm. uh, the Merseyside derby, when he he comes on, and I think it was the 96th minute, and it was a wayward volley from Virgil van Dijk that bounces on the crossbar, bounces again on the crossbar. Jordan Pickford's flapping away underneath the crossbar and, it, and the ball fell to, to Origi, who had who had followed it in because even on my commentary, I say, oh, and it's a wild volley from Virgil mm-hmm. van Dijk and everyone in the stadium sort of going, oh, and, and sighing. But he had the presence of mind to follow in and that was three points. And, it, you know, ultimately it, it, it ended in a second place finish, but a Champions League victory that season for Liverpool. But it also, it represents the Jurgen Klopp spirit, you know, to never give in, to go to the final whistle. We see a lot of that in the Premier League. Um, and Jurgen Klopp saying afterwards that, uh, you know, he, I, he, I'll never play him. He needs to find a manager that plays him each week. Um, I think it's kind of lovely. And Divock Origi at some point will have to ask himself, is this who I am? 
is is this the rest of my career playing five games a season for Liverpool in the champion in the Premier League, maybe scoring a couple of important goals, or do I go somewhere and and lead a line? You know that that is for him and the club to decide. But but for him to come on and do that at Wolves, that was a massive three points because if you go away uh, to to Everton and you win so convincingly, to then follow that up with a draw with the way that the other results are going and and Man uh, sorry Chelsea had already lost that day as well. That is a massive three points. For Liverpool and Divock Origi should be should be very very proud of himself and the way that he took that goal. I'm trying to think of a of an American sports analogy to the role that Divock Origi plays. The first one that comes to mind, A Dub, and and stop me if I sound crazy here, is Robert Ori um, from those great Spurs teams um, and those and and that Laker team. Um, just just unbelievably clutch and just knows his role. And when the time comes, you know, when you get him the ball, he's going to do magical things uh, towards the end of the game. Maybe like an Adam Vinatieri, potentially, if we're, if, we're, if we're talking, you know, football and we're talking the gridiron. But, mm. but this man, you know, there is such thing as a clutch gene. And when, when the moment asks the most of Liverpool and Divac Origi is on the scene, he simply finds a way. And, and there's something invaluable about that. And you, it's, you can't mm. be taught. It can't be, it can't be learned. It's something that you're just born with. And Divac Origi has it. Yeah. And on his, on his role with Liverpool, I don't, think, I don't think that he could go to Southampton and lead a line. I don't think that he could go to Brighton and lead a line. I think that he might find himself in the best position possible to make a good amount of money, maybe not play all that much, but be a part of a winning team and, and play a role. Because it's not a it's not an accident that he ends up doing this, Arlo. I was thinking about it, and I'm saying to myself, if you're a defender and you're having to deal with the likes of Jota, Salah, and Mane for, for 90 minutes, what's the thing that you're dealing with? You're dealing with pace. You're dealing with smaller players who are going to burn you. You need to play it. You need to be savvy in the way that you defend. And then what happens when Origi comes on? He still has some pace, but it's size, it's strength. It's, you know, he's going to be physical with you, especially in the penalty area, and somebody who's really a, a poacher by nature. So it's it's a it's a perfect change of pace if you're Jurgen Klopp, because you're going from these three world-class strikers who have their own individual abilities, and then it's a totally different look when you bring on Origi. And it's difficult for a defender, if you're still having to deal with two out of those three players, if Origi's coming on for one of the three of them, to then have to deal with Origi and what he brings to the table. So I, I do think that you know, potentially he might be content. There are people who are very comfortable with their roles. He's not the main guy, but he is a guy. And he mm. and, and he's written his name into, into Liverpool folklore. And there's there's something to be said for that. Yeah, he's definitely a cult hero. There's, there's no question about it. He's He will be part of Liverpool's legend going forward for, for the various big goals that he's scored. And, and he will have that role in January. You know, if, if you have an Oxlade-Chamberlain on the right-hand side, for example, or a Jota on the right-hand side, Mane over on the left, say Firmino's not quite ready yet, you'll have an Origi down the middle. You know, he's going to be playing a lot of games uh, during mm-hmm. that period. And you've, before that, you've got the, the busy Christmas period as well. So he'll be featuring in that. You know, the, the question you asked earlier on uh, of Ada, in my era, um, this it's it's not the same. It is different, but it's like having a Steve Young as backup to Joe Montana. You know, you've got a guy that can mm. come into the into the game and and just be fantastic. Now, I'm not saying he'd be on the level of Steve mm-hmm. Young if he were a starter because he went to the he won Super Bowls <laughs> and went to the Hall of Fame. But but it but it's having that that strength and that and that quality and reserve 
that I think a lot of managers would look at uh, look at Jurgen Klopp and look at Liverpool and the squad depth and be quite envious. All right, so let's move on right. to the team that's at the top of the table, Arlo, and, and that's Manchester City. Uh, 3-1 win over Watford. Uh, Bernardo Silva continues his magnificent form um, and City hold form within the table uh, and they find themselves at the top. I said a couple of weeks ago, I thought that they were currently the best team offensively and defensively in the Premier League. Um, and I'm going to stick with that. I still believe that at this very moment. Um, but but for the moment, Manchester City are playing some really good football. But like you and I were talking about before we came on and started recording, Arlo, is that they probably should have had five or six. And, you know, they're yeah. they're squandering some chances when they have them, which is, you know, sort of uh, not, not exactly the DNA of City. But, um, you know, these are champagne problems over at the Etihad. Yeah, um, I did this game and the first half... It was like two teams from different planets. It, it was like an FA Cup tie between, you know, a top Premier League side and a, and a side struggling in League Two. Um, Watford couldn't get a kick. Um, they had one touch, I think, before the first header from Laporte was cleared off the line. Um, they went down in the third minute. I think they'd had four or five touches of the football. I, I'm not talking about possessions. I'm talking about literal touches of the football. <laughs> um, Manchester City were so dominant. And, and we looked at the starting eleven. And bearing in mind that City had beaten Watford 13 straight times, right, since I think 2009 in all competitions. They'd scored 50 goals in those games and conceded six. In the last three, the last three results, including the 29 FA Cup final, 6-0, 8-0, 4-0. So there there are, even though Watford have massive turnover in managers and players, those fans remember and those fans barely sang a word in the first half because they were so concerned about what was going to unfold. The, the thought, any time a team starts scoring early goals and another team looks completely outclassed, the, the, the scoreline 9-0 comes into your mind because of what's happened to Southampton a couple of times against Leicester and against Manchester United. And that that's how it felt. But the one thing, when you see Grealish, Bernardo Silva, Ilkay Gundogan, Raheem Sterling, Phil Foden, I think I'm missing one attacking player. But those those players all selected in the same team, it is frightening <laughs> for for the opposition. And if you're Watford with that recent record, my goodness me, you know, it must have been petrifying. And they, they started like they were terrified, absolutely terrified of what Manchester City would do to them. Uh, but City... The, the, the chances, they, they are created, you purr about them, it is incredible football, and they miss them. Jack Grealish had five goal-scoring, genuine goal-scoring mm. opportunities. Didn't take a single one of them. Bernardo Silva scored a couple of goals. He's fantastic. Gundogan missed a couple. Sterling scored one. He missed a couple. Phil Foden missed a couple. Yeah, and I was just saying at 2-0, because in the Premier League, we've we've seen it so many times, and I know it happens in, in other leagues around the world as well, but the, the reason I mention it is because the managers that come from overseas talk about this a lot, that in the final 10 minutes, even if you're three goals clear, you don't feel secure in the points. You don't feel mm-hmm. like if, if a home team, for example, gets a goal back, that they won't just suddenly just become the world's greatest team and back by the crowd and, and get a couple of goals late on and, and tie the game. So just as I was saying that City don't score enough, obviously Bernardo Silva curled in one of the most beautiful, we were right behind it at virtual ground level. Mm-hmm. It was a beautiful goal. So you think 3-0, and then, lo and behold, Watford scored. 
and had Josh King and Cucho Hernandez, by the way, coming onto the field. He was terrific. And if Josh King had taken the chance that was uh, served up for him with about seven minutes to go, that would have been 3-2. And then all of a sudden, mm-hmm. this team from another planet is then hanging on to three points against a Watford side that, you know, are going to be fighting relegation all season. So, yes, you know, City fans can say, oh, God, the old chestnut, the old narrative about has not been able to score goals. The reason I bring it up is because it's, it will cost City points this season because it, by rights, they're so good, they should be seven clear of Watford and it's not a problem in the in the final 10 minutes. He still brought on Mares, De Bruyne and Jesus. I mean, it's just incredible. But defensively, they are so solid for most of each game. Rodri is, is just brilliant in the centre of the park. But without scoring enough goals, they're going to make games interesting. In the end, Watford couldn't get a second in order to then, you know, have a grandstand finish and trying to get a third. But if there is an Achilles heel for Manchester Mm. City, we've talked about before, the lack of a genuine goal-scoring, you know, cold-eyed killer in front of goal. Um, And that was in evidence at Vicarage Road. But having said that, of course, some of the football was just absolutely beautiful. All right, you heard it here first. Arlo White saying that Manchester City's lack of ability to put in five a game instead of three are going to cost them points. <laughs> I, you know, it's also their style. They do they do throw so many numbers forward in possession. You know, it's it, you know a lot of people will compare Liverpool and Manchester City, but they do play two very different styles, and that's why Jurgen and Pep have so much respect for each other because they see the game in such different ways. Yet they both are the cream of the crop when it comes to the Premier League over the past three or four seasons. So when City are throwing these numbers forward and maybe they're not getting – maybe the ball, it's not a finished product, meaning it doesn't go over the goal line or it doesn't go over the end line. They're leaving themselves exposed at the back. And Arlo, I mean, it's the it's one of the oldest saying in sports. The, the, the worst thing that you can give a team that you're beating is belief. It's the most dangerous thing in the world. And, and especially when you are Manchester City and you have that target on your back, the moment that you let a team back into the game, they're going to start to believe. And especially if you're on the road, it could, it could spell some problems out for you. But – this is what we talked about at the beginning of the season and why this is going to be one of the most exciting title races, if not top four races in recent memory, because Liverpool do have some defensive problems and they are going to make mistakes. And, you know, they might be missing some players at a, at a key junction in the season. Manchester City don't have the out and out number nine that they need in order to really go over the top. Chelsea are really missing that consistent winger player or even consistent goal scorer now that Romelu Lukaku's goals have dried up when we get to Chelsea in a second. So we're seeing all of the shortcomings of these top three teams in City, Liverpool and Chelsea come to fruition over this difficult stretch, which we always knew was going to be the case. Um, and, and it's and, and we're right where we want it to be with two points separating third through first place. And and it's and it's just incredible. So let's talk about Chelsea right now. Arlo, neither you or I um, got to catch the entirety of the 90 minutes. But of course, we do have our resident blue here in Andrew Williams, who's going to help us through this um, a, a difficult three two loss for Chelsea. Um, Andrew, if you want to throw in the sad violin here while you give your breakdown of the Chelsea game, that's that's more than your prerogative. But since you're in control of that sort of thing, I can, I can imagine you're probably going to leave it out. But your thoughts on the 90 minutes and the performance and the alleged cross slash shot that, that ended up winning West Ham the game. I still don't know if that was a cross or a shot. Whatever, it went in. Best to them, whatever. But it was tough <laughs> to watch because Chelsea bossed so much of that game and they're just shooting themselves in the foot multiple weekends in a row something that we have not seen under Thomas Tuchel yet individual errors consistently happening and I don't know if that's whether there's because a lot of guys are injured so people's spots aren't really on the line like they usually are 
Chelsea's depth is something we talked about since the beginning of the season. You look at their bench, how good it is, yada, yada, yada. So there's no excuses. You can't have an excuse if you're going to say you have the best bench in the league and they're just not playing good enough right now. They're not getting the goals. I don't know what's going on. If Lukaku's healthy, why isn't he starting? If he's not healthy, why are you bringing him on at halftime? There's a lot of questions right now around this team that they got to figure out really quickly. Adob is absolutely right. You know, it's um, we, we noticed it in a recent game at Stamford Bridge that that Lukaku was on the bench. So therefore, and any any pro will tell you, if you are on the bench, you are fit to play. Um, now you might you might lack a little bit of match fitness, but you only get that through playing as well. So for for him and and his price tag to be sat on the bench uh, yet again with Kai Havertz being the the sort of false nine striker. Um, I think it's a concern and, I, and and people are going to start really talking about this because it's noticeable now that Lukaku effectively has been dropped uh, after after his injury. And then you have to, to answer the question, you know, schematically in terms of the system, does it, is there a disconnect between what Chelsea and Tuchel needs and what, and what Romelu Lukaku provides? And, and I think that's a real concern at the moment um, for Chelsea. Yes, I, I agree with the injuries. I mean, Conte is a massive one. Kovacic is a more important player for Chelsea than a lot of people really uh, give him credit for. Mm-hmm. He really helps Chelsea tick in that midfield. And look, he's English. Uh, he's been the, ne- the world's next greatest player for about five years now. I still, I'm still not convinced by Ruben Loftus-Cheek at, at, at this level uh, as a starting go-to midfielder. We did a game at Stamford Bridge recently. Lukaku's on the bench against his former club, Manchester United. It was a 1-1 draw and Lukaku was was fairly anonymous for the, for the entire game. And that's against a Man United side. Okay, they had McFredich in there with, uh, with Matic, Fred and McTominay. So they nullified that Chelsea midfield slightly. But yeah, I, I, I worry about him. And I, and I just, I would love to see Christian Pulisic, don't, wouldn't we all, just stay fit so that he can make a massive impression. Because in terms of goal scorers and in terms of wide men that you've mentioned, Tyler, he does both. He scores with great regularity and and he and he attacks the left flank, you know, at will. And, and we've said it before, Project Restart, he was one of the most electrifying players in the Premier League, therefore European and therefore world football at that particular time. I don't know whether it's, a, it's an injury issue. I don't know whether they're just reluctant to trust him because of the injuries. I'm not entirely sure. But, but Pulisic... If, if he were fit and he had a run of games, could transform Chelsea uh, from, from the team that is just struggling for goals at the moment to a team that I think would be flying. And by the way, I think it was a cross by Masuaku and I think it came off uh, Loftus-Cheek. I think there was the merest uh, deflection that was absolutely mm. crucial that took it past Mendy and caught him out at the uh, at the near post. But I do think that was a cross. It's, it is interesting how, like, Adub, your synopsis of the game and your synopsis of Chelsea right now, you would think that you guys are like five or six points off of first place right now or like, you know, like, slip it, like slowly letting the title slip out of your hands. But I, it's just... They've been tops since amazing October the 3rd. Swing. I know, but it's just amazing how this season the narrative is shift. The narrative shifts with the top with these top three teams basically every single week as to what's their weakness. Is this going to hurt them in the long run? Um, you know, whatever it might look like. But 
it's it's just fascinating that that you know a dub two weeks ago Chelsea's the best team in the league blah 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 now here we are you know one one slip up against West Ham who now have beaten Liverpool and Chelsea uh, at home London Stadium Arlo is becoming mm. a bit of a fortress here and I know it that is. I ragged on the atmosphere and and everything that the London Stadium wasn't when I when I went there to go watch uh, West Ham and Arsenal play a couple of years ago but this was a different side and a different feeling but London Stadium is is a, has become an extremely difficult place to go and play right now. They've turned it into their home. There's no question, and and all the all the all the issues of of it being completely the opposite to Upton Park. Upton Park was four stands on the side of the pitch, very tight, very compact, very intimidating. You know, West Ham have had to get used to, albeit you know, virtually twice as many people in the stadium. They're almost twice as far away from the stadium as well, which has been a huge <laughs> problem. Um, but that place is rocking now, and and even West Ham fans are saying this feels like our home. We've had big moments, and I think when when you have a new stadium. And, and we'll probably see this around Major League Soccer as well. Y- you need big moments to occur in that stadium to make it feel like your mm-hmm. home. You know, you need to associate it with 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 big moments. And like you say, three two over Liverpool, three two over over Chelsea at the weekend, and West Ham, who hadn't had a win in the last four. That was important for them. They needed to get a result like that to believe that top four is a possibility for them. You know, they're going to have squad problems perhaps as the season goes on with the Europa League and various other cup competitions. But at the moment, they've got a two-point lead over Spurs, who are fifth, and Spurs have had an outbreak of COVID in the camp. Man United, you know, a, a point further back on 24. So that could be that could be a you know a, a charge under Ranić for, for top four. But I think West Ham are very much in the race for the top four and deservedly so because they have a spirit about them and a synergy with that crowd that is almost worth a goal at home in every game. It's fantastic to see. Well, you mentioned Manchester United, 1-0 win over Crystal Palace. Fred with a, a truly phenomenal goal um, in the 77th minute to give uh, Ralph Rangnick and, and Manchester United the three points, much needed three points for the Red Devils. But let's hit on the the Arsenal-Everton game, Arlo, because this game was mm. absolutely scintillating on a, on a number of different fronts. Richarlison gets the hat-trick but only ends up getting one goal. Um, and Damari Gray just with an absolute wonder strike to, to secure the three points for the Toffees and you know you talk about much needed for Manchester United this this win was I mean I don't I don't know what was going to happen to Everton and, and the blue and the blue half of Merseyside but it's mm. it's been really really tough for this side and and Arsenal um, I mean what more can you say had an opportunity literally at the buzzer through Obama Yang for the second week in a row to, to potentially equalize and didn't even hit the target but a, a big win for Everton showed a lot of belief a lot of character in that win and um, you know, it was a back and forth game. Everton a number of times had had goals chalked off for VAR, easily could have put their heads down, but um, displayed a lot of grit and a lot of will in this game and, and came out on top. Yeah, they did. And you're right. They they could have really let their heads down because they, they've been in a poor run of form and they were blown away by Liverpool at home, which was, you know, it, it, there is a golfing class in the teams, but losing a Merseyside derby 4-1 at home and it could have been worse it is just terrible for morale and it's terrible for your fans. And the fans at Everton have been turning on the team recently, most notably at Brentford. So there's a kind of a, a toxic atmosphere at the moment in and around uh, Everton. Then you throw in the Rafa Benitez situation, formerly of Liverpool, of course, starting well at Everton to take the sting out of the appointment but then as things have gone on and the, and the results have got worse and worse and worse then he comes into the spotlight as being in the firing line getting getting rid of Marcel Brands I think the the sporting director or director of football I think that is um that's a big big move by by uh, Mashiri the owner and Bill Kenwright because it's saying that you know we see you as being responsible for this not necessarily ourselves and not necessarily the managers and certainly not the current manager because if you look at the current manager the player that he 
he's signed because they need to need to stay below certain levels for financial fair play was Damari Gray. And they got him for about two million dollars, which is crazy. I mean, I've you know, I've been I've watched and been frustrated and occasionally excited by Demari Gray for the last few seasons being a Leicester City fan. And we know what he's capable of, but he's mercurial at best. And going away to Leverkusen, it didn't exactly work out there. So coming back to the Premier League, and you know, I think it's been really interesting. And he's been absolutely fantastic. I think that's five goals so far in the Premier League. And it was after the the initial or the second equaliser that never was, uh, when Mishalison was like <laughs> an inch or so offside. And and still to this, I mean, I just don't get how that that line equated to the foot because the foot wasn't over the eighteen yard line. Um, and I, I, look, it's one of those millimetre offside. We're not seeing as many of them, thankfully, but I hate them when they happen. But but they kept at it. And it was Gray's shot that came off the crossbar that Richarlison nodded in for the equaliser. And then Gray cuts in and sends an absolute rocket in off the post in the closing stages um, for a phenomenal winning goal. By the way, Andre Gomez getting him back on the pitch as well. Gomez was brilliant mm-hmm. in the build-up to that goal with, with his calmness in possession. It's not always been that dynamic and impressive, Andre Gomez, either side of that awful injury. But that was that was fabulous by him against uh, against Arsenal. But, but in Ketia... I think he would have walked home last night having missed that header at 1-1. I mean, it was a, just an absolute sitter. And then, as you say, Aubameyang, I think in the 96th minute or something with a chance. It mm-hmm. is getting like the NBA. It is getting like the NFL. I mean, this, the amount of <laughs> things that are happening. Was it Neil Mope in the 98th minute for Brighton getting a yeah. point for them as yeah. well? But no, Everton, my goodness. I don't think a team in the entire league needed a result as badly as they did against Arsenal. And they came up with it and they came up with it with with character, with guts, with determination, and that got the crowd back on their side. I just want to go on record and say that I know that there are a lot of things when it comes to football in this country that we still need to get right and that we we still need to sort of take some notes from from your side of the pond, Arlo. But what I will say is I am so glad that we do not do offside with VAR like you guys do offside mm-hmm. with VAR because it is just absolutely infuriating. If I was an Everton fan, I would have thrown I would have thrown my coffee through the TV. I really would have. Like it it's it got to the point where it just none of it makes sense and you're just like VAR was invented to 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 correct egregious mistakes. That's not an egregious mistake. No. It, and it, I don't know. It just it drives me insane, and I had no dog in the fight. If this was if this mm-hmm. was Liverpool, I I don't know if I would stand. I'd be standing here in front of you. I would have been, you know, taken into the clink for for assault, for noise complaint, whatever it might be. But it's it it, it really is maddening. Well, I said on the on the opening weekend of of the season where we had VAR introduced that I believed, and I've said it ever since. I believed in that thicker line. To, to give a, a slight margin mm-hmm. of error so we don't get the you know the fingertip uh, the, the the tiptoe offside because because the technology hasn't caught up with the desire to to to, to catch people offside you the, the lines are fuzzy um, you don't know whether the, you know where, where when the ball leaves the, the 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 last guy's foot all that sort of stuff it's hard to when you're measuring someone a millimeter offside but you're doing it with with faulty technology then you can't do it. You have to give the benefit of the doubt. So the Premier League this year have impl- implemented a thicker line, a more of a margin of error. 
Um, but still that didn't apply for some reason to last night's, particularly the second goal, uh, on the edge of the penalty area to Richarlison. So by and large, we're not seeing anywhere near the amount of, of, of offsides, of, you know, marginal offsides. We're not seeing the lines on the pitch that often uh, this season. So when you do see it, it, it's jarring and it takes you back to last season when so many goals were, were chalked off. And, and, and it just led to a disenchantment with, with, with the product. And it, and it led to people getting slightly mm-hmm. depressed about the game because, you know, it's all about scoring goals and it looks like you're trying to prove, you know, beyond doubt that, that, that something was, was offside when, when it's, it's infinitesimally small. So uh, the margins. So yeah, that, that was, that was a kind of a throwback to the bad old days. It, in my view, that should have been benefit of the doubt. It should have been a goal, but in spite of that, and that was the second time it happened to them, uh, Richarlison scored the best one goal hat trick in the history of the Premier League and, and Everton get the win in the end. Well, Arlo, it feels like you're calling a game literally like every three or four days. Every single time I, I check my phone, there's mm-hmm. a Premier League game happening. Can I just ask you this question uh, for those, you know, people who are interested in, in, you know, our commentating side of the, of this job, let alone the, the mm-hmm. podcast side. Um, and again, if you, if you like the podcast, please drop us a like, subscribe, review. It helps us immensely. Um, what has it felt like for you as a commentator? Obviously, it's a little bit different than covering seven to eight kilometers a game. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's a lot of work to be done and there's a lot of games to be called. It's a very exciting time. But I can imagine, you know, there's, there's a lot running through your head probably 24 hours a day. Yeah, yeah, it, it was a it was a particularly busy stretch. Um, it was a Saturday, Sunday, Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday. So six in nine days, and you're going all over the country. You know, as far south as uh, as Brighton, as far north as as Liverpool and Manchester. You know, driving around England on the motorways is not always the easiest thing in the world because because they tend to close with great regularity. So you're you know what j- journeys that should take three hours are taking five hours, particularly at this time of year with the weather, the treacherous weather. Um, a lot of it, Tyler, is is just getting to kick off because doing the games is so much fun. I can't, I can't even tell you how. And you, you, you're the same as me. We we do this because we absolutely love it, and it is so much fun. Um, when you're when you're in a grind like that, it's it's doing all the prep work that you need that so that every mm-hmm. broadcast is as good as, uh, as as good as the last one, and you're not cutting any corners. And that that really tends to eat into any spare time that you might have during that period. But but it's a joy. It's a, it's an absolute privilege to do it. And in this game, you know, um, there'll be times in 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 the summer where I'm, I'm not doing quite as many games and and can have a bit of a, a relaxing time and there are times particularly December January over in England where you know your nose to the grindstone and this is your busy time and we're, we're entering that now this was just a kind of a slightly freak situation that um, we had midweek games uh, normally I do one of those but we had the Merseyside derby followed by Manchester United against Arsenal so they were no-brainers and then it's back to the to the normal weekend of Saturday and Sunday so you know I wouldn't have it any other way I couldn't do it every week not to the level of, of preparation that, that that has to be done um, but we had a fantastic week and, and Lee's been away so it was with Graham for all those six games so he did all the miles as well and he was fantastic so uh, yeah tough week uh, a busy stretch but really really enjoyable and I'm looking forward mm. to getting back in the saddle at the weekend. Well, I'm sure I'm sure you're like me during the off season. There are there are days where you sometimes feel like it's good to have this break, and then when you're not calling games, there are days where you're just literally going out of your mind. Because yeah. I some I describe our jobs our jobs sometimes it's like a it's like a drug. It's it's yeah. it, it yeah. really is an adrenaline rush, and when you don't you know have that drug per se, it it, it can drive you a little bonkers. But um, you know this this is why we do it. We absolutely love it. Um, but tell the folks where you're going to be this week, Arlo, and uh, and we'll say goodbye. 
Yeah, on the road again, Norwich against Manchester United. So as far east as you can go in England, uh, the next port of call, I think, is Amsterdam uh, beyond Norwich. So we'll see how they're, they've, they've turned, you know, they've ticked up a little bit under Dean Smith. Yeah. So, so uh, you know, difficult. it's tight down there. A couple of wins gets you, gets you well out of the bottom three. Uh, and they play Ralph Ranić's uh, Manchester United. And then on Sunday, it's to Nelson Road, the dog track, the home of AF, sorry, mm. Selhurst Park, the home of Crystal Palace Football Club. <laughs> Um, and they host Everton. So let's see if Damare Gray uh, takes his form down to South London. So a couple of grounds I really enjoy going to. Don't get to go there that often. Carrow Road and Sellerhurst Park for Saturday and Sunday. Can't wait. All right, folks. Well, you've been listening to the Intercontinental Football Show with Arlo White and Enrique Iglesias. Uh, remember, if you <laughs> really enjoy this podcast, drop us a like, review, subscribe, leave us a review. Please, please, please. It helps us so much. Um, when it comes to the popularity and the visibility um, of this podcast. But Arlo, have an excellent week. Um, you know, keep drinking the tea, the honey, you know, whatever sort of um, lozenges that you might be engaged in uh, throughout the course of this this busy season. And please stay warm during that during that really cold 35 degree weather. Yeah. Okay? Everybody in Chicago yeah, yeah. feels so bad for you. We really do. I'm We're sure, sending I'm our sure thoughts they and do. prayers. Yeah. yeah, thank you. I, I appreciate that. And I think actually <laughs> what we should do now, we, we should be we should be Julio. And Enrique Iglesias, because I'm the Julio I'm, character I'm, in this, yeah. in this, aren't I? And, I, and I'd like one yeah. day to recreate that situation. There's a famous photo where he sat there with a bottle of what looks like Ch- um, Chateau Margaux or something, a beautiful mm. bottle of red wine, and a, and a bucket of KFC chicken. That's how I'd like oh. to roll on a private jet. Could that, we, that, that's a bit. Of, we, that's a bit of me. Could we recreate that, like over at like Oak Street Beach um, in Chicago, like me and you just sitting out on some towels with some KFC chicken and, <laughs> yeah. and some and some Chateau Margaux? with our shirts yeah. off and the whole thing yeah, yeah I, that'll, I, be, I, that'll I, be my title <laughs> my shirt won't be off i mean i can guarantee my shirt won't be off no not not until no no the lot, lot a lot needs to happen for me to have my shirt off in that situation and i'm not i'm not prepared i'm, I'm not prepared i'm not sure i'm prepared to do the hard yards to get there but i think we can well, try and well, re- recreate it <laughs> Well, instead of the hard work, I'll just make sure that it's the fourth bottle of Chateau Margaux. And we don't need to do <laughs> yeah. we don't need to do any lifting or working out. I just need there to make sure you're already you're already a couple bottles deep. Folks, have go. an awesome week for now. Stay safe, stay warm, and uh, we will talk to you next time.